John chapter number 18. John chapter number 18. 18. Why are you turning? Why are you turning? Let me, let me remind everybody what Sunday's going to be about. Can y'all see that? Can y'all see that? Is anybody, is anybody hungry tonight? <clears throat> I'll auction it off <clears throat> to the highest bidder. Hey, these are going to be ready Sunday. Sunday, you don't have to go out to eat. No need to go to Cracker Barrel. Taco Bell is out of luck. Say amen. amen. Make sure and get, this is all about helping missions and also uh, beating Brother Dustin. Say amen. Now listen, if you don't like potatoes or you're not doing carbs, uh, you can donate a 20. These are $10, but if you want to donate 20, that counts as two potatoes. Say amen. So think about it. Be prepared for it. Be ready this coming Sunday. Amen. All right. Glad to be saved. Say amen. We are in John chapter number 18. I am tickled to death about tonight. Man, I got some good stuff. So we're going to just dive right in here. And uh, there's a probably, uh, probably a, a good chance we're not going to finish tonight. <clears throat> maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe we will. Hopefully we will. Uh, but it's going to be, you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be really good. Your eyes are going to be open to some stuff I, I, I haven't seen before. So, so let's just jump right on in there. All right. John chapter number, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? I know there's a lot of people watching by way of the internet, out of state and in state and everywhere. Uh, can you welcome all of our visitors on, 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 on the web? Can you do that? Just greet them. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're from Coleman and you're not here, shame on you. Amen. All right, here we go. Verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. When Jesus had spoken these words, now remember, now remember, that, that we, finally, we finally got out of the upper room. We've, we've headed for about three or four weeks now. We've headed from the upper room uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're coming out, we're coming out of the, the city part, the walls of Jerusalem, and we're crossing the brook, okay? We're crossing the brook headed to Gethsemane, the garden. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, say man, he knoweth all things that should come upon him, went forth, went forth. In other words, he went between them and his disciples. He went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said Unto them, I am he. They went backward and fell to the ground. What power in his word. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He's doing this on purpose. He's making them, he's making an emphasis on who they're truly after. He said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, if I'm the one you're after, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink 
it. Lord, thank you so much for your word, uh, for the privilege to study it and to read it and to learn it. Uh, Lord, for the privilege of being in a place that's hungry for your word. They're here and they're ready to grow. They're ready to learn. And Lord, they're like sponges soaking up your truth. Lord, it's a good crowd tonight. Please, I pray for your anointing. I, I, I got the info. I've got the, I've got the scriptures. I've, I've got the truth. I've got the outline. I've got the information. But God, we need your anointing. We need your presence. We need the Holy Ghost to, to, to touch us and help us tonight. God, will thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to start tonight with just a few pictures uh, to kind of help you get in your mind uh, uh, what we're looking at. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, what do they say about pictures is worth a thousand words, you know. Uh, and let's, let's, look at the, let's look at just a couple of them and I'll explain them. I'll explain them as we go. <clears throat> All right. Where we're sitting, where we're sitting when I took this picture, I, I am in, I am in the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives looking back at, this, at the city of Jerusalem, at the old city. As you see the gold dome, if you're not familiar with that, uh, that is the Dome of the Rock. That is a Muslim uh, really, it's a, a memorial place. I always thought it was a uh, it was a mosque where they worshipped in, but it's not. There's one on the Temple Mount, but that's not it. That is supposedly the place where uh, it, Muslims believe that that, that Muhammad uh, got on a horse and rode to heaven from that spot. But this there's a 36 acre place called the the Temple Mount. That is where Solomon's Temple used to be. That is where. Uh, 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 really some, some call the second temple but it was re, uh, uh, renovated by, by King Herod and, uh, which was the, the, the temple during Jesus' time but that's where it is if you'll see the wall and you'll see a, a, a cemetery there in front of the wall I'm on the, I'm on the, uh, the Mount of Olives looking back at, at Jerusalem looking back at the Temple Mount if that makes sense say amen, amen. okay go to the next picture all right, same picture. You're seeing, you see these graves on this side? All right, on the other side, if you'll see, I need my pointer. Uh, do y'all see that little, uh, that little indention right there in the wall? It's, it's basically a gate. Can y'all see that? I think I have a, a close-up of that. But right underneath that, there is graves there, and I'll explain that in a minute. That is an Islamic grave. On this side, they're Jewish graves. And, and the guide told us that only the wealthy, the wealthiest of the wealthy, have their graves on this side because they know by Scripture, they know by prophecy that that's where the Messiah is going to come when he comes. And they're, they're waiting on him to come the first time. We know it's going to be the second time. Say amen. amen. And, and they believe that if they're buried there, they're going to be the first ones to be blessed when their Messiah comes. Now, the significance of the, uh, the gate, that is called the golden gate or the eastern gate, all right? According to scripture, Jesus is going to come, land on the Mount of Olives where I'm standing, and he's going to, the, the Mount of Olives is going to split, and he's going to walk through and go through that gate, and he's going to assume the throne of his father David. Say amen. amen. That gate, if you notice, I, it's, you can't see it in this one uh, that great, but it is, it's concreted up, concreted up. 
the one who built the wall knew the, he knew the, uh, this was an Ottoman leader who built this wall. I had his name memorized and I forgot it because I'm nervous. Amen. Anyway, he, he concreted up in order to keep out the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. They also put an Islamic gravesite and cemetery in front of it uh, to keep the Messiah out because it would be unclean for a Jew to go through uh, uh, that graveyard. Now, how many of y'all know that's not going to keep Jesus out? And all God's people say it. Okay, in between where I'm standing, we're looking straight across, but in between is the Kidron Valley, okay? Is Kidron Valley, the Brook Kidron, where Jesus just walked across, okay? This is where we're standing. I'm standing on the Mount of Olives looking back, and, and, and there's that where the gold dome is is where the temple would have been, okay? Go to the next one. All right, this is, this is from... Uh, this is from the side of the temple looking back at the Mount of Olives. Do y'all see all those Jewish graves up there on the side of the hill? That's, that's what all of that is. And the Mount of Olives is in that left side where, that, where the trees and all of that is, okay? All right, the next one. Okay, this is a rendition of, of Herod's temple. Now remember, this was the second temple, not Solomon's temple, but the second temple that Herod came in and re, re, uh, re, re I can't, what's the word, help me, renovated, he renovated, he made it bigger, he made it more opulent, I mean it was just incredible. So this, what you're looking at right here is where the gold dome would be. This is what it looked like if Jesus was standing in the Mount of Olives looking back at the temple, that's what it would have looked like. Does that make sense? Say amen. In other words, where we were looking and looking at the gold dome, that's what he would have been looking at. And if you'll notice, there's a gate there. And in between, in between, the artist put in there the Kidron Valley. This is at the museum in, uh, in Jerusalem, the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem. Okay? And we see the Kidron Valley there. We would be up on the Mount of Olives looking back. Okay? This is in... This is in Gethsemane. This is in, you see the olive trees there? Uh, this area is gated off. They wouldn't, we couldn't go inside that, but we could go all the way around and look. And there was tons and tons of people praying, praying and, and, and spending time here. So you, you, can, you could see. Now think about this. Think about this. Keep this in your mind. <clears throat> during Passover, during Passover, Jerusalem, which would be the city, if you looked over the, over the, the Brook Kidron, looked over into the city, the city would be jammed, packed with pilgrims. Jews coming from all over the world, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of pilgrims there coming in for Passover. So it would be, it would be just elbow to elbow, hustle bustle. Can y'all imagine how peaceful it would be to leave all of that junk and come up here and spend some quiet time? That's what's happening. All right. Next, I'm I'm standing. Well, that's pitiful, ain't it? <clears throat> I'm standing in in the garden, looking back across. If you'll see the gold dome, now can you tell? Now you see the difference there. All right, this is where Jesus prayed. The gold dome is where the temple was. Uh, can you go back? Can you go back two? Can you go back two pictures? That's the last one, right? Okay, go back two. Okay, the middle part is the, is the temple. Uh, if you will see the kind of the white colored looking houses, that's where the lower 
uh, the poor of Jerusalem would be, the lower income. Right above that with the red roofs, that is where the higher income, the rich, uh, the high priest, all of the, the wealthy Israelis would be in, in, in Jesus' day. If you will look at the right-hand corner, at the right-hand corner of the compound, the 37 acres on the Temple Mount, uh, that's the Antonia Fortress. That's where all the Roman garrisons would be. That's where the, the uh, uh, pilot would be, uh, the different ones that the, the Roman rulers would be. That's where all the Roman soldiers would be. And matter of fact, usually they were kept at Caesarea. If you remember several, uh, several months ago, I showed you pictures of Caesarea and Herod's palace on the sea. That's usually where they stayed, but they had the soldiers in Jerusalem for the Passover, just in case there was an uprising, just in case there was rioting because of the number of people and pilgrims that would be in Jerusalem, okay? <clears throat> and then if you will see over here is the pools. There's two little, little red-looking uh, roofs over here. Can y'all see that on the right-hand side? That is the pools where the, the, they came and Jesus healed them, all right? Are you with me? Say Amen. Okay, now, this is what we want to talk about tonight. In this valley, this is the, 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 the Kidron Valley. This is the, the Brook Kidron, and uh, it's, also called, it's also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and we'll see that in, in, in letter C of point number one, all right? So does this have, can you get in your mind, can you get in your mind a little bit kind of what it looks like while we're talking about this? Can you do that? Say amen. amen. Okay, now let's jump right into our outline. There's three things I want to try to get to tonight, if we can, if we got time for. Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, I want you to see the path of sorrow. The path of sorrow. The path of sorrow. Everything means something. Everything means something. Look what it says. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. So let's look at the path of sorrow. Kedron, the, the valley, the brook. The word means dark. It means murky. It means gloomy. This valley was approximately 20 miles long. Uh, it goes and it eventually ends up at the Dead Sea with a descent of about 3,900 feet. So it goes at an at a altitude and, and down almost 4,000 feet down to the lowest parts of the earth, which is at the Dead Sea. And, and so this brook means a lot of things. I, I didn't realize it till I started digging and getting ready for y'all uh, uh, how much it has, has happened, has, has taken place throughout this brook and what it means. And so if you're writing, writing notes, write this down. Hey, first I want you to see the history. I want you to see the history. Let's go back to the Old Testament a little bit. And, and, and I had a lot of information. I had a lot of information, but if I typed it all out, it'd be five pages long and, and it'd be too much to, uh, uh, to print off. So I'm going to try to do this by memory. So if you want to write stuff down, that's fine. If you don't, I'm going to just try to, try, to, try to give you the stuff that, that I've, I've researched and looked up. Uh, there was a time in the Old Testament. How many of y'all remember a king named David? How many of y'all know that, 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 that Jesus is in the lineage of David? He's also called the son of David. Amen. Uh, David is a type of Christ. All right. And David, there was a time in David's life when David was uh, uh, basically run out of Jerusalem. And David was betrayed 
uh, by his own son, Absalom. Absalom has taken over the throne. The people of Israel uh, moved from following David to following Absalom. And not only that, but David's closest friend, his number one counselor, his name is Ahithophel, he betrayed David and turned his back on David. And then as he betrayed David, the nation of Israel rejected David. David is leaving. He is leaving in sorrow. He is leaving broken. He is leaving in pain. And guess where he goes? Out the eastern gate across where? The brook Kidron. Now think of the similarities. Think of the parallels. First you have two kings. You have two kings who have been rejected by their own people. You have two kings who have been betrayed by their closest friend. Even that. Even a closer parallel. Uh, what did Judas do after he betrayed Jesus and took the money back? He went out and hung himself. What did Ahithophel do after he betrayed David? He went out and hung himself. David in this story is a perfect picture of what was to come and what was to take place. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that Jesus had in his mind that story and that remembrance of what took place with his great-great-great-grandfather David. And now he's walking across the brook Kidron in sorrow, in gloomy darkness. And in the, in, in the name Kidron, it represents what's taking place at the time. It's night now. It's dark now. Now, we see as this takes place, not only do we see the history behind it, but then I want you to see the symbolism, <clears throat> the symbolism behind it. There was a, there were, uh, uh, in the temple, if you'll remember where the temple is on the, on the opposite side, uh, as they would come in and sacrifice the lambs, as they would, as they would sacrifice the animals, uh, Josephus, a historian, said that at some times, on the Passover, that there would be approximately 250 to 256,000 lambs sacrificed in one Passover. The Passover, they would, they would be uh, sacrificing these lambs even before the Day of Atonement. As the pilgrims would be coming in, hundreds of priests would have to help with this service, would have to help with uh, this particular ministry. And they had a, a, a channel that funneled the blood and the water from the purification ceremonies that they would do. They would puddle the blood and flow through, down through the rock, all the way down and go into the brook Kidron. That blood would stain the rocks and it would stain the water as it would come through. And that's why it was called, many believe it was called dark and murky. And so what was taking place? Jesus is coming out of the guest room. He's coming out of the upper room. And he's bringing his disciples. And he's coming across the brook Kedron. And he steps over the very blood that cannot take away sin. He steps over the blood that can never wash away sin. And he being the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. The symbolism on the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> this is great. This part's great. It's all great, but this part's really great. On the Day of Atonement, uh, and I'm sorry I'm doing it like this, but I, I'm, I'm having to do it by memory. And, and uh, so just, I, I know you're used to writing stuff, but just, just try to listen. You might can absorb it, and if you can't, just watch it on the Internet later. Amen? Uh, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, when 
he would offer the sacrifices. He would, he would go in, and, and as we said last week, he would offer the sacrifice for himself first and a, a bullock for himself, and then he would offer it for his family and the priesthood and then, and then for the people. Then he would come out, and they would take two goats, two goats. Y'all with me? He would take two goats, and one goat, they would slay the goat and sacrifice that goat and symbolizing that that goat would pay for the sins of the people. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But then they would take the second goat, and the high priest would take his hands and put it on the head of that goat, and he would begin to confess all the sins of the people. And he would call out the iniquities and the failures and all the issues of the people and put it on this goat. And symbolically, it would be as God was transferring all the sins of the people upon this goat. And they would take this goat as this goat is now carrying. Y'all with me? Man, I've got God bumps right now. This goat is carrying the sins of the people. And they would take this goat that was carrying and now bears the burden of the people. And they would take him out of the eastern side of Jerusalem across the brook Kidron. Out across the the, the Mount of Olives into the wilderness to never be seen again. Now we have Jesus. Now we have Jesus. He's not only the Lamb of God which pays. He's the propitiation for our sin. His blood has paid the redemption price. But what was so great in that garden? What was such a burden that we're going to talk about in a minute? What was such a burden in that garden? Why was he saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Are y'all with me? What was in the cup? It was the cup of sin. Some people believe it was the cup of it was the cup of the cross. It was the it was the pain and the agony of the cross. I don't believe that because Jesus set his flint and his face is a flint to Israel or to Jerusalem. He said, "I'm going. This is my Father's will." He said, "For this cause was I born. For this reason came I into this world." But he was the sinless perfect son of God. It says that his sin, it was such a contradiction of who he was. He was perfect. He was holy. He was spotless. Say amen. But in that moment, God was taken and transferring all the sin of all mankind and putting it on the scapegoat and leading him through. Put the picture of, of the model. Put the picture, uh, in other words, the, the temple in Jesus' day. The temple in Jesus' day. This one. Okay, <clears throat> if, you will see, if you will see in the middle part, we have the outer courtyard, then the inner courtyard, and as you go in, that would be the holy place, and then behind the veil would be the holy of holies. Correct? Everybody with me? Now watch. If you go that, if... if if this is the eastern gate, where are you going if you go that way? West. Where are you going if you come this way? East. Where are they leading the goat? East. Into the wilderness. 
never to be seen again. The goat represented carrying the sin of the people, never to be seen again. That way is. That way is. Come on, let's try it. That way is. That way is. The altar is. The goat is going. The Bible says he separated our sins from us as far as the is from the say amen. Never to be seen again. I don't know if y'all getting anything, but I'm getting it. He's not only the sacrifice, but he's the scapegoat who takes away our sin. Never to be seen again. Would you ever imagine in the Bible a verse that just says he's crossing a brook would mean so much? It's a place of history. David crosses this brook in sorrow. Jesus crosses it. The Bible says he tells his disciples, he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He's coming across dark, gloomy. He knows what's fixing to take place. Can you imagine as he crosses that brook, he sees that blood and water. And by the way, by the way, that blood and water, what came out of Jesus' side when they stuck him with a spear? Anyway, can you imagine as he steps across And he sees and he just knows in a matter of hours it's going to be his blood. And his disciples are clueless. Clueless. Now don't you see this. This is just something you can tag on. Joel, Joel chapter 3 and Zechariah chapter 14. I think I put them in your notes. I want you to see this. There's not, only, there's not only history and symbolism, but I want you to see judgment. Write that word down, judgment. Joel describes this valley, the Kidron Valley, as the valley of Jehoshaphat, or Yahweh judges. Yahweh judges. These verses tell us that God is going to bring... This is future, by the way. This is future. Future Judgment. God is going to bring the nations of the world into that valley, the Kidron Valley, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And he's going to judge them for their treatment of the nation of Israel. Are y'all with me? This is going to be at the end times. I'm not going to read it because I'm going to try to save some time. But, but you can read the verses there, Joel chapter 3 and Zechariah chapter number 14. That is the right chapters, right? Okay, all right. So... We find Jesus crossing the brook Kidron. He's crossing this path of sorrow. And he ends up in a place of submission. Number two, write that down. The place of submission. He enters this garden. There was probably, there was probably in that day, there was probably many gardens on the side of this slope, on the side of the, 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 the hill, <clears throat> the Mount of Olives. 
And some scholars believe that there was a wall. There was a wall around because the Bible says he entered in. And he, they believe that, that possibly Jesus left his disciples, the, the, the majority of them, at the gate and took, who did he take? I'm going to give you a quiz. Who did he take with him a little further? Let's try it. Peter, James, there you go. All right, all right. Peter, James, and John. And this is what he says. <clears throat> he says, Terry, Terry. In other words, pray with me. In his humanity, I went back through the Gospels and, 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 and I was going to print all of them out, like I said, but, but with the space. If you go back, and I would encourage you to for your homework, go back and read each Gospel uh, reference and witness of this particular instance. And, and when you put it all together, you'll see the whole picture. As he comes in, he's praying and he's, and he's burdened and he's sorrowful. He knows what's fixing to take place. He knows what's happening. And the Bible says in his humanity, he says, I am exceedingly sorrowful. Exceeding. I mean, the weight of the world is pulling upon him. I'm exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death, even unto death. Pray for me. Pray for me. In his humanity, on his human side, he was desiring somebody to stay with him. He was desiring somebody to pray with him. He was desiring somebody to be in prayer fellowship with him, praying for the future and praying for his needs. He was crying out, pray for me. Not only was he concerned about his own self, but he was concerned about them. He tells them, pray, pray that what? Ye enter not into temptation. He knows what's coming. So we see this is a place of prayer. By the way, by the way, I think that's, that's A. I think that's A. It's a place of prayer. Wouldn't it be great? <clears throat> wouldn't it be great to have such a reputation that, that, even your enemies would know where you're at when you go and pray. The Bible says Judas, he never told Judas where he was going. He never told Judas that he would be in the garden. He never told Judas that time. He never gave him instructions. You remember what he said? What thou doest, do quickly. That's all he told him. But you see, he had such a reputation and such a pattern of prayer that he knew that he would be in that garden and he knew that he would be praying and Judas knew where to go. Oh, that we would be people of prayer like that. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of solitude where he could get alone. The Bible says he took them, the three closest to him, but then it says he went a little further and he went and got alone with his father and he began to pray. He began to pray. And he said, Father, I know that all things, I know all things, you can do anything. There's nothing impossible to you. He said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying. And listen, this place went from being a place of prayer to a place of pain. A place of pain. He was so burden he comes back now think about this <clears throat> what what contributed to his pain not only the fact that the spotless holy perfect sinless lamb of god was 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 having the sins now think about this every rape every murder every incestuous act 
every homosexual act, every lie, every, every time someone cheated, every single wicked sin you could ever imagine of any person, every person was put upon the sinless one. That's what he's anticipating. That's what he sees coming. Imagine the one who was perfect. He who knew no sin became sin. But guess what? With the prospect of that taking place, he comes back to check on his own, and they are asleep. They're asleep. And he looks at Peter. You know the bragging one? The one who said, I love you more than any of them? The one who said, I, I, they can all run, but I ain't running. He said, couldn't you tear him but one hour? He hadn't even been gone from them an hour. And they fell asleep on Jesus. In his darkest hour, in his time of greatest need, they fell asleep. And I know I can't judge I wonder how many times in my life I've disappointed Christ. Could you not tarry but one hour? And he goes back and he begins to pray. And the, now, now we find this in Luke. Obviously, it would have been Dr. Luke who gave us this part of the story. The Bible says he was under such Pressure. Say that with me. He was under such pressure. pressure. This, is, this is B. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of pain. It's a place of pressure. Now here, write that down and look back at me. <clears throat> now remember, <clears throat> remember, Kidron means dark and murky, gloomy. It represents sorrow, right? right? Then we come to the garden. <clears throat> it's not the path of sorrow, but it's the place of submission. Now watch. Gethsemane means olive press. It means olive press. They would take the olives. You've seen the olive trees. They would take the olives. And by the way, every place we went had olives. Every kind of olive you can imagine to eat, they was on do I got a witness over there? I mean, on the salad bars, just olives everywhere. And, and, and they would take, and, and olives in that, in that day was used for so many things. Listen, the olive oil would be used for medicine. The olive oil would be used for anointing. The olive oil would be used primarily for oil, for light. See, y'all didn't get it. You, you, you missed a shouting point right there. Watch this. The nation of Israel was commanded by God in the Old Testament when they, when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness. Y'all with me? Command them that they bring olive oil daily to put in the lamp. You remember the golden candlestick in the holy place, right? You remember you go in the altar of incense, the, 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 the golden candlestick and the table of showbread? 
where the golden candlestick was supposed to burn continually. And the nation of Israel was supposed to bring olive oil to put in that lamp so it continually would burn. There was no natural light allowed in that area, only the light from that candlestick. Are y'all with me? That light represented the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God. Are y'all with me? And the oil is the fuel that kept the light burning. Say amen. And why? Hallelujah. And, and listen, why do you think it said in Revelation? Do you remember when he was talking to the church of Ephesus? He said, he said, you've not put up with sin. You have been patient. And you, listen, you have worked hard. And you've done this. And you've done that. But I have somewhat against thee. Because you've left your first love. He said, remember from whence thou art fallen. And repent. And do thy first works. Or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. What is he saying to the New Testament church? He's saying, I'm going to remove my presence. And when I remove my presence, I, that goes the power. Because the power comes from the presence. I don't care what you got in this building. I don't care how many seats you got in this building. And I don't care how many, how many people you got in this building. If the presence of God ain't in this building, it ain't going to happen. And the oil represented the fuel that burnt the light. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When he went back to heaven, he said, now ye are the light of the world. And what is the fuel that's going to burn your light? It's going to be the oil, the Holy Ghost inside of you. You say, what has this got to do with Jesus in the garden? That olive press, they would take those olives and they would put it in that press. And they would have a, 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 a plate that would go on top. And then, the, and then the, the arm, and they put the weight on it, and it just keep pressing and pressing and pressing, and all the pressure would go against those olives. And as the pressure was applied to the olives, all of the oil would come out from the pressure. Jesus is praying in that garden, and he's begging and beseeching his Father. And the Bible says he's under such great pressure that the capillaries in his sweat glands begin to burst, and the... And the Woo, say ma'am. And the sweat came out as great drops of blood. Mm, say ma'am. Listen, he's in that press. He's in that press. But he did it for you and me. He's praying. And listen, he's giving it his all. Church, say amen. amen. Oh, we got plenty of time. Number three. We may even finish early. Y'all are so negative. <clears throat> this is a part, this is a part that's, uh, it stands out to me because I've never heard him talk about it. That really emphasizes the authority and the sovereignty of Christ. His power. That he was God, even in this situation. Man, I, as I, I, was, I was growing up, man, even, even in our, our, even in our, 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 our drama, <clears throat> Mr., Mr. Brown, listen, the, the, the different ones we've had. Steve, you've played, you've played Jesus, and 
And when usually when you see that in the movies or when you see that in, 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 in most dramas, you see these big husky Roman soldiers coming in and, and Jesus meek and mild and taking and, 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 and coming through. And it's just this pitiful figure that's been betrayed. And he's just, oh, come on now. Don't look at me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Am I right? And we get to feeling sorry for this poor old Jesus. I've got a blown up picture where we had, we had that mountain over here. Y'all remember a couple years ago when the soldiers went up there and then they marched him out and it was like, oh, and it was like really cold. And, it, and I've got the picture of them having Jesus with his head down and the soldiers. And the soldiers look so impressive and so mighty and so powerful and just. And Jesus so pitiful. So powerless and so captive. I'm gonna be like Paul Harvey. <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> Put them all together. The Bible says in that moment of Jesus' dire need, God sent an angel to minister to him. And the last time he comes back, and I'm just, I'm, I'm skipping ahead because the enemy on the wall, say amen. He comes back. He said, go on, take your rest. Sleep on. Verse 4. Look in your notes. Not your notes, your Bible. Verse 4. We're going to see a different side of the garden. Verse 4, you with me? Well, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. Judas, verse 3. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees come thither with lanterns and torches and what? Okay, okay. Did y'all see that? Did y'all see that peaceful picture? Did y'all see that peaceful picture? This means yes, this means no, all right? Y'all remember? That garden, imagine the quietness. There's no planes, trains, and automobiles, say amen. There's quietness, there's peace, there's tranquility in this garden. And then all of a sudden coming up the hill, coming up the Mount of Olives. Some, some scholars said that that band would be between 200 and 600 men. Now you got to think about this. How many times have they tried to arrest Jesus and was unsuccessful. How many times did they come to Jesus and they came back and said, Where, why didn't you bring him? He said, ain't never a man spake like that man. Right? right? They know he walks on water. Right. They know he's healed blinded eyes. They knew he called somebody back from the dead. So we need to be ready. Imagine that. How foolish. You're coming against a guy that walked on water, told a storm to knock it off. Judas witnessed all that. And here they come. Now imagine, imagine this is going to make so much sense. Y'all ready? 200. What's the disciples doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Now watch. 
Here they're coming. Judas is coming. They got weapons. They've got torches. They've got lanterns. They're, they're loaded for bear. They're ready for anything that might happen, they think. All right? Verse 4. Jesus, therefore, no. say it. Jesus, therefore, no. knowing how many things? All. All things. Here's what I want you to put. Underneath, underneath the protection of sovereignty. The protection of sovereignty. I've never seen this in this story. Never. I've never heard it preached on in this story. The protection of sovereignty. What, what was sovereign? What was sovereign in the life of Christ? The first thing we see is sovereign knowledge. Sovereign knowledge. They did not sneak up on Jesus. They, <laughs> y'all ain't getting this, I'm telling you. They did not catch him by surprise. He knew they were coming. Matter of fact, he was behind them coming. He was orchestrating them coming. He had sovereign knowledge. Now, why should this encourage you and me? Because the same one who knew all things is the one that's on the right hand of the Father interceding for you on your behalf. Nothing's going to sneak up on him. Nothing's going to take him by surprise. Not one problem, not one issue, not one thing you'll ever go through that your sovereign Lord don't already know it's going to happen. Somebody say amen. So we see sovereign knowledge. We see sovereign knowledge. He knows. They're not sneaking up on him. Judas thinks he's slick. He thinks he's going to pull a fast one. I'm going to sneak up there and I'm going to give him a kiss. And y'all know that's the one. Because they were expecting Jesus to do something slick. They were expecting him to try to escape. So Judas, he was going, come on, please. It was sovereign knowledge. Now watch this. Watch this. This is awesome. Let me read it. Let me read it. Look here. <clears throat> Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon them. What's the next two words? Say it again. Okay. His disciples are here. And they're coming. <clears throat> he sees them coming and he does what? He gets between them and them. Now watch what happens. He initiates the conversation. Whom seek ye? What'd they say? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. I'm trying to do this for time, but this is what took place. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And when he said, I am, what did God tell Moses at the burning bush when he said, what's your name? He said, I forgot they're coming from this way. 
When he said, I am, there was such power in his word that it knocked them backwards and they fell to the ground. Now watch. That's them. This is him. He does it again. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I've already told you. I am he. Now, now watch. That's his sovereign power. His sovereign power. Just him saying, I'm he. Knocks him down. With all their lanterns and weapons and staves. Y'all with me? Oh, it gets better. But what's he doing? There's so much more to that. Two times he says, who are you seeking? So they would have to say, he was showing them and emphasizing the fact, I'm the one you're after. He says, now let these go. What's he doing? He's protecting them. He's emphasizing the fact, hey, you're looking for, so let them go. Do y'all see this? Now watch. What is that? That's his sovereign will. Look at the very next verse, verse 8 and 9. We see his sovereign power in 5 through 7. Then look at 8 and 9. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that this, watch this now, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. That's his sovereign will. But then lastly, this is, this is maybe my favorite. We see his sovereign grace. His sovereign grace. Do you see Jesus now? He's not this wimp. He goes forth. He gets in between them and the disciples. He knocks them down by just speaking to them. In other words, in this garden arena, he is totally in charge. In his arrest, he's totally in charge. In his mock trial, which I can't get to yet, he's totally in charge. When they put him on the cross, he's totally in charge. Because when they were interrogating him, they said, don't you know we have power over your life? He said, you have power. You don't have power over my life. I have power over my life. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it back again. Throughout the whole thing, he's in charge. What struggle are you going through? 
What valley are you going through? What difficulty are you going through that you're worrying yourself to death with? You've got a God who's in charge of every circumstance. You've got a God who has all power and all knowledge and all might. Somebody say amen. Now watch. How many of y'all know that we as Christians sometimes do stupid things? All right, Peter sees Jesus and his performance, and he's feeling a little froggy. Now, keep in mind, he's got between, at the, at the minimum, 200 men with weapons and staves and lanterns and torches, maybe up to 600. But Peter steps forward. Some, some commentaries, some Bible scholars believe that Malchus, the servant of the high priest, Malchus was one of them that came. He was coming to help arrest Jesus. Possibly he could have had a hold of Jesus. If he didn't have a hold of Jesus, he was probably in very, very close proximity to Jesus. And so Peter's going to protect So he pulls his sword and swings at Malchus. Now you got to understand cutting a man's ear off, he was going for his head. Most likely, most likely, Malchus tries to duck, and when he swings, he cuts his ear off. Ear hits the ground. Y'all know what happens. He tells Peter, son... Put your sword up. Don't you understand? Don't you understand that I could say the word? Now, I'm I'm going from the other Gospels. Remember, y'all going to read it, your homework? Don't you understand that I could say the word to my father and I could get 12 legions of angels A Roman legion was 6,000. Somebody multiply 6,000 times 12. A whole bunch, yeah. That's my answer. What what is it? How many? 72,000 angels. Now let me help you with that. In the Old Testament, it's recorded that one single angel killed 185,000 men in one night. Do y'all think Jesus needed Peter's help? Put your sword up. Then he reaches down and he picks up the ear and he puts it back on his head. Now I'm going to just tell you right now. If I was Malchus, I'd have broke camp. <clears throat> but let me, let me, let me, knock it off. We've got three minutes. <clears throat> you say, where do you see grace? Where do you see grace? Two things. He showed grace. This is so good. He showed grace to a saint. 
who did something foolish. And he showed grace to a sinner who didn't deserve it. <laughs> he put his ear back on. And he healed the very one who was coming to attack him. He said, how did he show grace to Peter? If he would have killed Malchus, if Malchus would have bled to death, that would have been a capital offense. And instead of three crosses, there would have been four. And by healing Malchus, he was protecting Peter. I didn't see this till just now. Just now. Just got a woo-woo from heaven. He was protecting the one that he knew in just about a 20 minutes was going to deny him three times. Why do you think we say, Amazing grace, how sweet. The sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Come on, give him praise and glory. <clears throat> Grace to the undeserving sinner. <laughs> and grace to the foolish saint. I'm so glad that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When I was ignorant in my sin, I found grace. But after I trusted Christ as my Savior, every day of my life, I've been finding grace after grace after grace after grace. Because it's, grace is not just for the sinner. Sometimes it's for the foolish saint. And all God's people say it. One second, zero, I'm done. Miracle, come on. All right, all right, let's pray. They'll never believe this. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you.